0: Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the City of Smack Podcast. I'm Chris Chavez, and this is my show where I get the chance to chat with some of the biggest names on the track, on the roads, within the coaching ranks, and across the running industry. We love giving our listeners a shout out when they leave a review, so if you do so, leave your Instagram handle, and I'll have a City of Smack sticker mailed out to you. I'm going to start mailing those out next week, so keep an eye out for a message as soon as I round up addresses. If you want your review to be read, leave us a five-star review and let us know why you love this podcast. This week's review comes to us from Emily Polanis, who wrote Running's MIP, Most Important Podcast. Chris absolutely slays every single episode, bringing us the most important nitty gritty running information while keeping it light and fun along the way. Helps build anticipation for all road races and track events and helps us runners feel connected to the super fast runners we look up to. The commentating for the marathon trials was unmatched and absolutely electric killing the game as always that's what it's all about bringing you closer to the pros up to date on the top news and events and excited about all the latest stuff thanks to emily for that super kind write-up the sidious mag podcast is supported by bandit running bandit is a performance running brand based in brooklyn new york we worked with them last fall around the chicago marathon and i still get a ton of compliments on my custom sidious mag bandit hoodie founded in 2022 Bandit just had nine athletes compete in the marathon trials, and they told their stories via a documentary-style series on YouTube called Dialed. Check those out on the Bandit Running YouTube channel if you're into some quality running storytelling. They also just relaunched their membership, a program that enhances your relationship with Bandit via early access to product, discounts, exclusive events, gear, content, you name it, the membership has got it. For a limited time, Sidious Mag podcast listeners get 20% off the membership and any product if it's your first-time order by using code Sidious20 at checkout. That's Sidious20 at banditrunning.com. Thanks to Bandit for supporting the podcast. My guest for today's episode is Rory Linkletter. He is a Canadian marathoner for Puma. He just ran 208.01 at the Seville Marathon to get under the Olympic qualifying standard. He did it with nine seconds to spare. He's in good position to get selected by Athletics Canada for the Paris Summer Games. Canadian record holder Cam Levins has already been selected for the team. There's two more spots up for grabs. And assuming that no one else runs faster than Rory in the next two months, he'll be set to go to his first Olympics. Rory was a standout runner at BYU and then turned professional in 2019. He spent some time with Hoka's NAZ Elite before choosing to leave the team and has been working with Ryan Hall in Flagstaff, Arizona for the last two years. In this episode, you'll hear all about why the training has been working so well. He shares a bit about Ryan's coaching philosophy and his training philosophy. Plus, I I obviously will try to start some trash talk between Rory and Connor Mance, or Clayton Young, his former teammates at BYU. So without further ado, here is Rory Linkletter. Alright, and now we welcome on Rory Linkletter, fresh off of the 208.01 to hit the Olympic standard in the marathon. Good enough to be on the Sidious Mag podcast, apparently not good enough to get into the lap count newsletter. I hope you enjoy this consolation prize to just uh, sit down and talk through uh, this race.
1: Yeah, I mean I, uh, I've i been getting up like 4.30 a.m. Flagstaff time, so I got up, opened <laughs> to the My email and saw that the uh, the lap count had come out and I was like, oh, surely I'm at least in the rapid fire highlights here. And nope. but there was a mention of where Lenny stood after people had hit the standard. And I was like, typical American media bias.
0: Yeah. Um, (laughs) Well, anyway, I'm glad we could get you on here to recap it, because it was an awesome performance. You said on Instagram, I'll be sharing more as I gather myself. How have the last couple of days been kind of just like processing the result?
1: It's been good. I mean, obviously like anytime you work really, really hard for a race, there's a lot of anticipation and buildup. And oftentimes when the race is over, it's kind of like, well, what do I do with myself now? But at least with this one, it like immediately translate and translates into the like implications of it, which is, hopefully going to the Olympics. And uh, so I've been kind of putting my focus post-race on like, oh, let's start looking at what that might look like, you know, and just having some fun with my downtime looking forward. And uh, met with Ryan, talked debriefed about the race, all that good stuff. Met some friends, been with family. It's been good.
0: All right. So all of this apparently was not due to the fact that running is your job and the Olympics is obviously a dream, but I think I saw on Twitter, this is all due to the fact that you lost your fantasy football league. Tell the story behind that.
1: Well, I mean, I was going to run Seville regardless of, of whatever happened in my fantasy football season. But, uh, before the season started, because it's a group of BYU alumni runners that most don't actually still run competitively. Um, they decided it'd be a funny punishment to make whoever got last place run a marathon. And they said, you know, me and Nico Montanias are in the group. If Nico and Rory win, I, I guess, I, I don't know what that means, but I mean, or if they lose, I don't know what that means, but we'll figure it out. And I got last place. It was horrible, but, um, I was supposed to run a marathon and I was like, well, I'm going to run a marathon. You can't change the punishment because I'm good at marathons.
0: <laughs> I heard it was close though, right? Like, for whoever finished last right someone in the replies yeah. is like oh if it yeah. hadn't been for this then like he wouldn't have had to run this marathon
1: yeah i mean it was i i it's one of those things when you're having a bad fantasy football season you kind of check out with like three weeks to go so like i was kind of like down in the dumps at that point so i'm sure that there was some jostling and whatever but i was i was a, uh, I i was not too dialed into that at, at the time so all right,
0: so let's let's give some credit to like all right, what led to your fantasy football downfall? That ultimately I like reframing this whole thing as like giving credit for this Olympic standard to a certain NFL
1: player. Okay, uh, Lamar Jackson, obviously. So, um not not any relation to my fantasy football team, but I got to give a shout out to that cuz I'm a Ravens fan. So,
0: but what what would happen with your team? Like who who tanked that like and what oh, went
1: wrong? I I honestly I'm like one of those people that, uh, I've compartmentalized this all out of my brain because it was so devastating, but I think I had like just a handful of those just unlucky injuries or like, I was the team that got the most points scored against. So it's just, you know, I don't think it's one person, but I, I I was just, I'll just dedicate my, my marathon to Lamar Jackson in general.
0: All right. I'll take that. (laughs) So let's, let's kind of recap this race not as many people probably watch this thing as like the U S Olympic marathon trials. Like I couldn't even tell you like where to find the stream for this one. And then kind of when I've read sort of some of these recaps from it, you know, the Canadian running magazine, the CBC who has covered it. Was it as boring as it seems where it just, you just so happen to go out with the Olympic pace group locked in, ran the most even split marathon I've ever seen. It was one Oh four Oh one for the first half and then one Oh four flat for the second half. Like, Was that just it? Just sort of like, all right, this is the group. I'm in. Let's click these off.
1: Yeah, in part, it's kind of like that. Obviously, when you're time trialing, that ends up being what it is. And, you know, they did have a great stream, but obviously, like, the time difference makes it, like, impossible for U.S.-based, North American-based fans to follow along. So, um, and it wouldn't have shown me much from my family that stayed up and watched. They saw me finish, and they saw me start, and they saw one pan over throughout the whole race to the Olympic standard group, but um, yeah, I put myself right on the pacer of our group and pretty much locked in. And I told myself um, right around halfway, just someone in this group is going to get the Olympic standard. There's too many of us here. So I might as well just try to win my group. And that's what I tried to do. And I think I would have been, I lost track of one guy who pulled away with 5k to go, but I think I was the second finisher of the Olympic standard group.
0: So how did you sort of like calculate that move? I mean, from an athlete standpoint, like a time trial is just, can sometimes be so mindless. Like it's less pressure than having to like compete for places and all that stuff. Like, had this been like the Olympic trials format, then I'm sure it would have been a bit more stressful. But for you, it just sort of like was it just looking at your watch and checking in on things? Like, how was it relaxing in a sense?
1: Um, no, because I don't I don't think time trialing is my natural, like preferred state of running. I think I'm more of a racer than I am a time trialer. I actually historically don't do my best at at these types of races. Um, but I mean, it it worked out well because it was a good day and uh, I was fit enough for it. I had had a great build going into it. So it's it's just one of those things. It's like, I don't know, you, you just go out there and, And you, you find your group and you just lock in and, and yeah, it it can be boring, but I feel like because of how much was on the line for me, I was so engaged with it that it it never at any point felt boring. And it honestly, it was the the fastest a marathon's gone by in my own perspective due to that fact that I was just so like dialed into my splits, like you said, and, and, and where I was at in my group and, and competing.
0: So the final mile you only got this thing with nine seconds to spare when does sort of that pressure and that adrenaline really start to kick in knowing that you don't have that much of a buffer
1: yeah when i went through half marathon um seeing that i was right around 64 minutes i was like not a lot of room for error here and at that point like i feel like it heightened my like awareness of what the pacer was doing what the group was doing and and honestly i i was like getting antsy around 25k and i passed the pacer who went 30k and i started running like 3 minute k's and i actually ran probably the most aggressive part of the race from like 25 to 32k because i was like we didn't give ourselves a lot of leeway here so i just felt like i feel good at this stage so i'm going to kind of push and kind of hopefully give us a cushion while my legs feel good knowing that you know and maybe this is stupid trying to bank time in the middle of a marathon, but in my head, I was like, your legs are gonna get tired. So like you have to give yourself like a 10-second window, 20-second window, so that if you if you do hit that, hit that like really, really tough rut, you you can grit it out and still squeak under. And I remember thinking with a mile to go, 2K to go, all these like checkpoints in the race it was really hard for me to do the math and I had no idea if I was going to get it. Like, actually I was leaning towards more so that I wasn't. And I was really just trying to scratch and claw for every second I could get knowing that, Hey, if, even if I don't get this standard off world ranking, I need to get every, every point I can. So it kept me super engaged knowing that even if I didn't get the standard, like two hundred eight eleven is better than two hundred eight twenty, Right.
0: Yeah. No, I mean, I 100% resonate with everything you just said, sort of like you, you're just negotiating with yourself. I, I mean, this was me in Houston last month. It's sort of like in the middle sections while you're feeling great, like you're like, all right, like I can step on the gas a little bit. And then in those later stages, you're like, okay, so what, how can I, how much can I slow down? And then by the time the math starts actually making sense, you're almost at the finish line and you just kind of have to go at that point.
1: Yeah, I remember crossing one uh 41k, and in my head that's 1200 meters. It's a little less, but I rem- I remember thinking 1200 meters, and I looked and I had to run 3:40, and I have no idea what pace I'm moving at that time. I'm not paying attention to that. I didn't know what my last case split was or whatever, and I'm like 3:40. That's like 4:52, 4:53 mile pace. I was like, I might be running slower than that because of the fact that. Like, I'm dead tired. Like, it feels so hard at this point. Like, it's it feels like I'm just redlining all the way. And I was like, man, I'm going to really need to sell out to get this. And, and I really went through my gears the last 1,200, and I ended up closing really, really well. Uh, but I didn't know how well that was going to translate to the time. I just knew I was running really hard. I felt like I was moving well, but I also felt excruciating because you're so deep.
0: Yeah, it's so different from, like, racing – on the track because you can have, you know, those people on the sidelines telling you where you're at and they're doing the math for you and telling you just how fast you need to go. So for you all yourself, your wife and your kids were with you. Did you catch them at certain points or like what was.
1: Yes. Yes. Seville was a super spectator friendly course. Honestly, if like Jill didn't have our kids in tow, she probably could have seen me six or seven times. She saw me four times, but you kind of loop around the city on two sides of the river, like, mo- like, doing these, like, kind of mini loops. So like, it's really easy to go back and forth across these two spots. But she saw me four times total. And um, yeah, I-, I definitely was just like, just trying to extract everything out of myself. Ryan told me before the race run 20 miles at 208, 10 pace, and then go one mile at a time as hard as you can. <laughs> and that's kind of like was the game plan. And I felt like I was actually doing that. So I knew I was in in the competition for the standard like I said I told myself I if you win the group you're going to get the standard so I just kind of focused on racing the last 6 miles and and yeah uh Jill Jill knew I was running well because she saw I was with my group that I was supposed to be with and so she was I, when she saw me on the course she assumed things were going well and she she said when she saw me the, for the last time before the finish which was 34k in at the Plaza de España like the beautiful part of the course where you run into this beautiful plaza and stuff that she was like oh he's gonna do it and i was i was like that was not my frame of mind i was like i got 8k to go i'm i just hurts like hell and who knows what's gonna happen so um but yeah i mean it definitely i didn't have like a ton of external feedback it would have been great to have ryan out there because he always seems to know what to say in those moments but i was just kind of being really instinctual out there
0: i like looking at the results you have so far for this year it's Half marathon, PB, 6102, this marathon, PB. And then, of course, the mile where you decided to go to BU, try and break four. You did it, 359.05. Yep. How much did that mile training help for closing hard, I guess, in in, in that last stretch?
1: Well, I definitely had the best kick the last 200. I don't think it was because I think that's just like adrenaline more than anything. But I do believe – that running that mile although it may not make sense to many people is like a huge benefit to me personally and i think it's something that honestly north american distance running uh misses often in in marathon training is like we like get so obsessed with the marathon distance that it's like oh you just got to grind out mileage you just got to callus your legs and it's just like we kind of put this like aura around the marathon it's like no you still have to be like super fast because th- these fast fast time like 208 you got to be comfortable running 450 pace for for a very long time so if you're not in at least like good 5k 10k mile shape like how how are you going to be actually comfortable at, at that fast of a pace so i just i looked at it as Reverse engineering, kind of like how a miler will or Josh Kerr did a half marathon to make his strength up. I feel like marathoners should work it the opposite way be fast so that the fast pace feels less fast.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's also why Connor Mance has also been successful. I mean, last year he ran a 1500 PR of 337. However, his mile PR is what he i think kind of jokes around and says like looks weak on paper because it's still just 407 from 2014 and he wants to bring that down uh i guess on that note now i guess at this point i saw the photo that was photoshopped of you know coach eyestone connor and clayton and then you what has made sort of byu this hotbed for marathoners is it as simple like I, beyond it just being coach at eyestone and having his own sort of success and philosophy. But what else do you think it is?
1: I think for one, we had a super, super talented team at that time. And it's crazy. We never won NCAA cross. Like it actually makes me so mad and it makes Ed mad. It makes Clayton mad. It makes Connor mad. It makes all of us mad that, I mean, at least Mance won it in 2019 the, the year after me and Clayton finished eligibility. Um, but It's just like, we were, we were a very talented team at the time. And also coach I stone, the way he trains distance runners, it's like so simple and it sets you up really well to have like a really well-roundedness to your self as a, as a endurance athlete. And, and we really just do, it's hard to explain, but like, uh, I feel like a lot of these, uh, Track and cross country programs in the NCAA don't do the same stuff we do. We just like rip hard tempos on the road, like once a week. It feels like you know once every two weeks at least. So I just felt like I got really good at running really hard on the road. Like I was doing tempo runs in college on like a five mile loop on this road out. We call it Lake Loop out in uh, out in Provo, and we would we basically raced it like. Eight times a season, right? So it's like one of those things where I just got so comfortable running fast on the road that I think that is why you've seen a lot of BYU guys become good marathoners. It's just we happen to run on the road more than most track and uh, cross country programs in the NCAA.
0: The way it shakes out right now, I guess you're number two in that group based off of PRs, right?
1: No, Clayton ran 2800 and oh, I ran 2801.
0: Okay, so you're third.
1: I mean, yeah, yeah, it's, it's a bummer. So I, I don't plan on being third forever, but but it, it, is, uh, it's, it was one of those things where it's like, man, I couldn't have run two seconds faster at least to, to leapfrog Clayton on the PB descending order list or just to run 207 would have felt a lot better. It's such a funny thing. Like you run 207.59 and you can call yourself a 207 marathoner, but I ran two eight oh one so I can't.
0: <laughs> so now you're a couple of years into your career as a professional, you spent some time at NAZ Elite, and then most recently, now you're what, year two, right, with Coach Ryan Hall?
1: Yeah, just over two years, I started working with Ryan at the very end of 2021, very beginning of 2022, so we've been just over two years now.
0: I And you did post on your Instagram story, just sort of like your World Athletics like top 10 performances, and how... Seven of them were while, you know, working with Ryan Hall, what has made that click so well? And I guess for the people who aren't as familiar, how do you boil down his philosophy?
1: I love Ryan, first of all. So like, it it starts with the fact that this guy is like, if I could have molded a coach for myself, it would have been, it just would be Ryan. So I, and I didn't know that when I picked him, like when I was leaving NAZ Elite and looking for a new coach, I kind of was like, oh, I'd like my next coach to be in Flagstaff because I want to stay here. I'd like my next coach to have been a good runner because I find that to be of, of value. Oh, Ryan makes sense. He also, I looked up to him at one point. He's cool. He looks cool. He acts cool. Like, you know, you, you, the vibe was right. And, and when I joined on, I I would have expected it to be good, but I would have, Never expected it to be like a, a almost like a soulmate of a coach athlete relationship. I I love Ryan to death. He like if he didn't want to coach me anymore, I have no idea what I would do. <laughs> so it's it's just like his philosophy is that he has no ego. So that's a big big thing. Like he does not care if he's coaching a two hundred eight marathoner or two hundred twenty marathoner. He wants to get every little bit of that out of you and have you have the most joy possible while running. He believes in hard work. He believes in all the right things. He's focused on the details. It's, it's, it's crazy the level of like mental coaching he's given me. Cause there was a time, you know, two or three years ago where I thought I was a head case. Like I was convinced like something was wrong with me. I'm a head case. And now I just in two years of working with him, I think I'm I've clutched up. You know, like he's he's trained me in a way that I step to the line. If I've gotten to the starting line healthy and done the training I know it's going to go well I don't I don't know how well there's still always things up in the air but I know I'm prepared and that's just a really really cool thing to have and it's just from working really hard and 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 working well with him so he's he's like very open to suggestions we just met yesterday and I just gave him like a ton of ideas I had and I'm sure he'll take some and leave some and I just trust him. I just know that we're always on the same wavelength.
0: At what point do you think you found him in sort of like his own sort of coaching journey? Because I remember like interviewing him while he was still competing, say around 2015, when he was still in the throes of a lot of those low points in his career where he was battling those injuries and like, you know, anything post 2012 for him was really rocky. And, for the people who haven't maybe watched the documentary, uh, it's on Amazon Prime, I believe, the 41st day. Like, that's like a crazy behind the scenes of how, you know, how much of a roller coaster his career was toward the end. And I kind of remember him, in a sense, not Sarah played a huge part of his involvement and in staying within the sport, but I never really thought that, oh, he would be a coach. And so seeing him, in the early stages, you know, workouts with you and Chaz, like that was still fairly early on in sort of like his own dive into the whole coaching scene. When do you think like he, you know, have you guys talked about that? Or like he's all in now.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of funny because I, we joke, like we have a good little group here in Flagstaff. I think it's like six guys, two girls with McKenna, Myler, and, and, uh, Sarah now at this point. But I think like Ryan, sometimes I'm like, does he, does he like this? Like, I think he does. Cause he keeps showing up, but I was also like, I feel like he doesn't need it like at all. And I think that's a weird thing because a lot of coaches I've found like their, their, their identity is wrapped up in, in what they do. Right. But I feel like Ryan's just like having fun with it. And just like, it just happens that he start that he's a charismatic guy and people like him and he's starting to have some success with athletes. Like, He's always had success with Sarah, but you see McKenna Myler getting seventh at the U.S. Olympic trials. That's that's a big testament to what Ryan does. And Dia has been running really well since joining Ryan. Um, Aaron Benenfeld uh, is starting to come around and he's going to he's going to be a good athlete here. And and there's just like it's going to keep growing organically. Um, I don't know what happened, what transition happened. I've obviously like tried to promote him as much as I can because I believe in him and I want people to know how much I think he's like a part of my success. Like I honestly am so grateful that it just worked out that way cuz I think it was perfect for me and I'm like just I'm blown away. I think coaching is so important and it's just like he's so good at it that I'm just like people need to know about this. Like I feel like it's still kind of unknown and I don't think there's that many amazing coaches out there. And he's one of them. So I hope that, you know, people that are, that are listening to this, that are, you know, maybe college runners or you know, aspiring pros, like I don't know what his goals are for growing this group, but I'm trying to grow it for him. I'm like, dude, let's get, let's get as many top level athletes. Cause I think it helps. And and as long as they're the right people, it's, it's going to be fun to see where this can go.
0: The presenting sponsor of the city Mac smack podcast is Olipop. You know, we've been pounding Olipop for over a year now. 2023 was a track season to remember and Sidious Mag was able to be there for all of the big moments thanks to the incredible support of Olipop. What has become known as the Runner soda isn't just a great companion for pregame shows or post-race shows or if you're just watching at home and want to crack a can of Olipop open yourself, it's good for you too. It's a prebiotic soda with nine grams of fiber, which is 32% of your daily needs, that only has two to five grams of sugar and helps your digestive health in a way that a threshold workout never could. We love it because there are 15 incredible flavors that will keep your body refreshed and ready to go for the next workout. My current favorite is Lemon Lime. Caitlin Tui's number one flavor is Ginger Lemon. There are other great flavors like Vintage Cola, Tropical Punch, Orange Squeeze, Cherry Vanilla, and I'm hearing rumors of another one coming soon. Sidious Mac podcast listeners get 25% off non-subscription orders by using code sidious 25 at checkout at DrinkOllipop.com. You can also find Olipop at Whole Foods, Sprouts, Kroger, Target, Walmart, Publix, and... Most recently, they just got added to Costco, so pro tip there. Next time you're looking for a refreshing and healthy drink after that long run or hard workout, reach for an Ollipop. You won't be disappointed. DrinkOllipop.com, code Sidious 25 I also look at someone like Ryan with kind of those low points he had and all those injuries, very similar to Dathan Ritzenhine, where it's like now you see his athletes and like he does his best to – keep him healthy and because he knows kind of like where that line was when he was an athlete and that crossing it you know will break them or whatever it is and so in a similar vein I guess Ryan you've been fairly healthy the the past two years to be able to compete at you know Houston and Worlds and and you know now this performance so you know has that also been sort of a blessing in disguise So, so sort of like oh my coach you know used to be super injury prone so he knows you know how where how to push
1: i think he he would he wasn't as much injury prone as he was like a hammerhead you know what i mean like he trained so hard and he likes to train us hard but i think he learned all the mistakes that you could make of like how to overtrain and and not do it right and he's like very careful about like efforts in within workouts and you know recovering between sessions he'll push us but he's also like he's the kind of guy that like you're having a great day and he tells you to back off, not to, not to keep going. Like he doesn't get excited out there. So I think it's more so like he's able to see and read the athlete within the workouts and within a training cycle and see what strings to pull at what times. That's what keeps them health, us healthy. Um, Obviously like at the end of the day, it's up to the athlete to stay healthy. They've got to, they've got to know themselves and they've got to, Do all the other things outside of practice, but he does do a good job of, of pulling the strings within workouts to, to make sure that we're not overextending. Cause I think most injuries, you know, are just simply like running too hard in a, in a threshold session. Like say you like just hammer yourself and then the next day you, you don't recover from it. And then you go into the next workout, banged up and boom, you're injured. You know, it's that easy. So it's just like managing efforts. He's really good at doing that in person.
0: All right. So this performance ends up being third fastest. Canadian marathon of all time. You're now number two on the all-time list behind Cam. He's ran he's run faster at what was it, Tokyo and at Worlds in in 2022. Uh, So for you to end up this high on the Canadian all-time list, what's that mean to you?
1: I mean, it it means everything, obviously. Because would have been
0: the national record if it was like 2018,
1: 2019. It would have been the national record the day before Eugene when when cam ran 207 there i mean like this is like uh, a couple of years ago there was only two people that have ever, had ever broken 210 in in uh canadian history so it's like it's definitely there there's a, a huge level up happening right now and and i can see it like the pipeline getting bigger and clogged up a little bit like it's going to be 2028 is going to be an interesting thing i think there's going to be an athlete of you know my caliber that might not even make the team because there might be too many good people. Like wait, wait till Ben Flanagan joins the fold. Wait till some of these other young guys step up and distance. So it's, it's really exciting times. And I am really proud to represent Canada. It's something that I've always been super, you know, it's been a great honor to to wear that Jersey a few times already. It's been a lifelong goal to wear it at the Olympics. And when it's all said and done, like, I would love to be on like the Mount Rushmore of Canadian marathoners. Like that's the simple like goal is like how high on that, on that list can I get? Obviously Cam, he's the goat right now. He's, he's run two Oh five, he's run two Oh seven. He's been top five at a major. I think he's got real metal medal chances that global championships and, and world marathon majors. Um, so to me, that's, that's the standard. And, uh similar to what like nance and clayton said after chicago running this 208 like it just all it does is it just gets you hungry for like what's the next how do you make that next step
0: all right so i had ben flanagan on the podcast a couple weeks ago after he ran in boston and he kind of outlined what his path to the olympics looks like even after hitting the olympic standard not a sure bet have to run canadian nationals most likely and so you know it's a little bit more complicated on the track for you i guess you've got to just wait a couple more weeks and just cross your fingers no one else runs faster cam's already been named to the team so there's two spots up for grabs you're the only other guy who's hit the olympic standard and i think it's by the end of like april uh you'll know for certain
1: yeah it's looking good though yeah, it looks great. Um, obviously like I'm under the, I'm going to work under the assumption that I'm going knowing full well that there's always a chance and I would be obviously sad, but like, yeah, I've done everything I can. Like when I set out on this journey, if I, I thought if I hit the Olympic standard, I'd go to the Olympics and that doesn't like I did what I wanted to do. So if two guys happen to, you know, clutch up and run two Oh sevens, what can I do? Like I've done what I can do to try to make this team and, if two other guys are more deserving, then they're more deserving. So I think Ben Preisner and Trevor Hoffbauer are the two most likely to, to take a poke at it. And Ben Preisner just ran 208.58 in Japan two weeks prior to my uh, run in Seville. And he's going to do Hamburg. And then um, Trevor Hoffbauer is still trying to find a race, but he's run 209 he's been solid at the marathon for some time now. Um we'll see what we'll see what happens. Like, right? Like the the bottom line is those guys are good and they could do it, but it's going to take a good day for them too, right?
0: Yeah. Um all right, so if we kind of look ahead, what are some of these early plans you've kind of already tried to pencil into your calendar? I'm sure a ton of it has to be hill work. This course map for Paris looks crazy with that one mountain in the middle of the the race he, I, I guess what, it, what what's the planning look like on your end and then i'll get to just sort of like the hot take and the the cam Levins, you know hype that i've been thrown out
1: okay i mean obviously you have to prepare for the course i for one love that it's going to be just an absolute grind fest of a course I think what I've gotten really good at is knowing how to run a marathon based on my internal like perspective of where my body's at with, at certain points in the race of my last five marathons, I've felt like I had four go really well, where I was like dialed in what the, and the one exception was I was injured going in and my body just wasn't ready to compete and I did it anyways. Right. So I think I have take a lot of confidence in knowing how to run the marathon at this point. So that's going to be the biggest component, and then it's going to be hot, humid, and hilly. I know I can run in the humidity. I did it in Budapest, and I personally consider myself like really good at hills. I'm just I'm just saying like I love that it's hilly. So I haven't had a chance. I, I ran Boston in 2021. That was my last uh, kind of last straw of like my my time at Naz Elite. I just kind of had a rough go there, so that didn't showcase my ability to run hills. But I know based on my training and what I like that I'm, I'm going to be going to be good on a hilly course. So I'm very excited about, about that course. And obviously you have to prepare for it. So I'll be crushing thresholds on the hilliest roads we can find in Flagstaff doing. I was going to
0: ask what's, what do you have your eyes on?
1: Yeah. I mean like Lake Mary has a section that's super hilly. Uh, There's stuff out. Like I live on like the outskirts of town and I'm near this road called sunset crater, it's super hilly, dynamic, and obviously, I have a mountain in my backyard. And 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 uh, Ryan is a big fan of running snowball. I don't know if you know what that is, but I've done that before a handful of times for flat marathons. I can only imagine what he's going to make me do this summer, getting ready for. And it's for anyone that's listening. It's a ten k uphill run, starting at seven thousand feet and ending over nine. And it it honestly doesn't matter how hard you run; it's the hardest thing you can ever do. Like. I, it is the most painful workout we do. And it doesn't matter if you're running seven minute pace, six minute pace, eight minute pace, it hurts the whole time.
0: Is there a, is there a legend who's done really well on this thing? Like a crazy story you've
1: heard? There is a story. Well, first of all, Ryan, I don't know how fast he, I I, apparently I've run faster up it than Ryan ever did. I'm like I said, I, I feel really good about my ability to run uphill. Um, but there's a story that cheserick ran six flat pace up it which is just insane i've run like six thirty pace up it and that was i was really pumped and i felt like i nailed it that day i've done it twice in a row once which is where i ran up ryan drove me down and then i ran up again that was brutal but the 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 legend was that cheserick one time ran six minute pace up it just like cruising so that's the only thing I've ever heard. And then I've heard like Ryan did a double snowball where he ran himself back down and then ran back up. So that would be 18 miles. And then he did like some other workout down there when he was, he did something crazy. At I don't know. At what pace? or I don't know. Like he doesn't. It's, it's he doesn't crazy br- no matter what pace yeah. it is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the challenge was like, just like running down, it is insane. Like, it's like, so, so hilly that it's like just running down it one time, I would be like in a wheelchair after that. So it, it'd be it'd be rough.
0: All right. So the theory I've been throwing out is this isn't a flat course at all. So it's like, you know, although Kipchoge will be on like the Kenyan, you know, Olympic team, you know, there's no idea. They haven't said if Evans Trebet is on it, but like the Boston champ it would, it would make sense to throw him on a course like this, but because it's of, you know, the, you know, the Hills, I think Cam's got a really strong medal chance and like it's not just like oh let's hand this gold medal to Kipchoge. I think Cam could be a contender in Tokyo fitness and even better if he if he improves upon that. Cam could be a gold medal favorite.
1: Yeah, I mean you don't run 205 and not consider yourself someone who could medal. I think every single 205 206 204 guy in the race is going to think medal or bust and that's going to be to my benefit obviously like because there's going to be a lot of attrition and this course is going to like it depends on how the race plays out i need to get lucky but like i look at it as like everybody that thinks that they should medal is going to be like running for that and i'm going to just see what my fitness is and then try to run the best marathon i can on that day um having Scott Fobble as a mentor and seeing what he's done at like Boston and New York by just running his own race, it kind of sets up like this idea of like, okay, well, you know, in, in you there's, there's like two ways of looking at it. You can go CJ Albertson and be a hero and try to be the front runner as long as you can. And then people will obviously admire that. Or you can try to be like really reflective on like your current fitness and, and the course and try to run the race to the best of your ability and not worry about what other people are doing. And, I'm probably gonna do the latter just because I think that gives me the best chance to hit my goals, which is to place uh I mean, I'll just say I want to be top ten at the Olympics. I think that would be a huge, huge accomplishment. And I think that if I do it perfectly and if I get lucky, that's that's really realistic. So that's where that's where my head's at.
0: We've never seen you versus Mance or Clayton over a marathon, right?
1: No, and I can't wait.
0: What can we get some <laughs> shit talk going or some like what is at stake between the three of you guys you guys are everyone knows you guys are buddy buddy but like that's gonna be the race within the race i think for the north american fans to watch
1: yeah absolutely i mean i i know who these guys are so i know what they're gonna do and like connor Mance will try to win this race <laughs> he will i mean he will try to win this race he's he's you cannot contain the animal that is Connor Mance. He You're will saying not... the
0: Olympics or the race within the race, the, the one between the Olympics. The,
1: the Olympics. the Olympics. Like, there's no way he's going to run like conservative. He's going to go for it. He's he's and he has an an immense amount of confidence in himself. He's a very very talented runner. He he will go for it and he will probably run really well. So, um, but to me, it's like I know I'm getting really good at the marathon and. I watched the Olympic trials and I was like, man, I wish I was American just so I could have tried to beat those guys. Like I, like that was my, like, I, I was mad, not cause they made the team, but because I was like, man, I wish I was out there competing with those guys. And I feel like I missed out on like such a cool race. So, um, I'm really looking forward to it. Obviously like the way I view myself in, in this, in the sport is like, within the Canadian running scene and the North American running scene in general. And, and I've kind of grouped those together and I, I want to be uh like a top dog in North America, not just in Canada. I would love to be one of the best North American marathoners. And then once I climb that mountain, I would love to try to be one of the best in the world, obviously, but I have to take it step-by-step step and, and where where I'm at right now, I feel like I'm, close to the mountaintop of 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 north america north american marathoning and and those guys are kind of the top dogs right now at least with hype and with uh what they've done recently but i mean i didn't get a chance to run that race I, i felt like with the fitness i was in i was gonna be uh ready for something pretty cool so
0: you that's your theory on like how connor's gonna run it but at the same time when i talked to him he said that Clayton's the better heat runner and obviously it's going to be crazy hot and humid in Paris. Like, what do you think?
1: Dude, Clayton, when he's hot, when he's on fire, like I feel like that guy has more confidence than anyone I've ever met. And right now he's riding high. So if he can keep the ball rolling from now till the Olympic games, he's going to be dangerous on the star line. Like I watched the U S Olympic trials and I was like, that's, very very impressive it looked like he could have walked away from connor no offense to connor but my my perspective watching was like clayton looks like he's on a sunday stroll right now and i'm anxious to see what they do in the build-up but uh if they can stay healthy and build momentum and keep the momentum that they that they have right now i would say clayton has good of a shot of placing as high as any American or North American does like uh, just because of how he's going to approach it. He's going to, he's going to be very confident. And, you know, as long as they don't do anything crazy, like that's, that's my fear for them is that they're, they, they have such high ambition. I feel like it, I'm like more of a realist within myself. Like I'll, I'll try to run the race within myself. And I feel like those guys will be like, it's the Olympics. Like, what do you have to lose? Like, go for it.
0: I just looked it up uh, your all time head to head with Clayton. Do you know who has the edge?
1: I would assume I'm a little bit ahead because I don't think he beat me in cross country very much. Um, And I think I beat him in track a fair bit.
0: I'm looking at this and it looks like he's got the edge 11 to 9. Oh. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I... That's funny. Okay. 20 races, though. That's that's a good amount. That's a good amount of head-to-heads.
0: And... You haven't beat him since 2020, the 10k in Saint George. He's beaten you in the 15k and in Jackson. You you two haven't raced since 2021. That year, he beat you in the 15k, in the 10k on the track. Even though, like that that 10k, I'm looking at it right now. You ran 29:18, and he ran 28:53. And you guys, I think we're only like a place apart. Um, Falmouth, he got you. Um, uh, but you guys if, go back to 2016, the Cougar Provo 3k on January 9th, 2016 was your first ever race and you beat him there by five seconds.
1: Okay. Yeah. That's funny. I mean, you could include high school in that. I think we raced a couple times in high school and that might not even be on there. Oh, okay. He was, so yeah, he was, I he was don't a couple of years numbers. older than me though. So he was definitely beating me in high school. So. Yeah. I mean, Clayton and I were like big rivals in college. Like it's kind of funny. We were teammates and, uh, but we were both team captains. We were both different leadership mentalities and we were both kind of like fighting for like the top dog kind of thing, but not, it was like unspoken. Like we never talked about it, but like, I think everybody understood that we were both very confident people and, and wanted to be the best guy on the team. And it was always like, back and forth kind
0: of yeah and your record against connor is a little bit more one-sided i think yeah. it, it, it says 11 for him um, yeah and then i guess like this was brought up on coffee club not that long ago where they were looking back at like the byu nau rivalry back in the day and they were saying how clayton used to be one of the guys who like would stoke the flames or did they have him confused with shumway
1: no, Clayton did, like, something really weird once at, like, a region. You know how Clayton, like, when he's running, he, like, gets, like, really, like, you can see the animation all over him? Yeah. So, like, kind of like what he was doing the last 2K of the marathon trials, he did that once in a regional 10K uh, cross to the nau guys and they did not take to it well like they were pissed like he like ran up to them and like did some like weird hand gesture and they thought he flipped them off or something i remember seeing on let's run after that they accused him of it was like some big deal like he didn't do anything like but just be as his, his weird self and like they like took it really wrong so like i think he did ruffle some feathers with those guys unintentionally just being himself like, in a race once but um I definitely was me and Baxter were were always the like antagonists of that that rivalry. I f- I felt like at least like public facing.
0: It's so funny to go back and 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 look at those days. I've got Baxter's book not that far from me and like just I want to go back and kind of look at the parts where they talk about you guys um because it should be interesting. I mean that rivalry was so good for for a series of years. All right, I'm going to run into the final questions that I'm asking every guest now. Who is the most intimidating competitor you've ever faced or the most nervous you've ever been before a race?
1: Uh, the most nervous I've ever been before a race was definitely the year after I was second in the NCAA 10 K. So my junior year at nationals in the 10 K in Eugene, I felt like I wanted to win so bad that I like was just so shook at the start line. That was the year that Ben Flanagan actually ended up winning. So um, I, I got last place. So it was horrible. Um, I would say the most inti- like the coolest one was like running New York Half last year, and it was guy and Kaplimo. Like that was like the the closest I've ever like been to arguably the best runners in the world. And guy was in my group till like 15k, and then he took off. Like it was like weird. We ran together for a long time. I was like, what are you doing here, bro? Like you should be way up there. Like get out of here.
0: Uh, what's the race or performance that really made you believe in yourself as an athlete? Had to have been that 10k at NCA's.
1: Yeah, I mean that was that was it. Like if you wanted to go really origin story, um my first time running a 5k indoors, my freshman year, I broke 14 minutes and that used to be a big deal. And like that's when I was like, oh, I'm good at running. Like this is, this just happened. I was second at the MPSF meet. And that was like kind of a like a, the origin story of like, I'm good. And, like because before that I didn't really believe that. <laughs> but uh the the bigger the grand scheme one was the runner-up finish at NCAA. 10k for sure
0: if you could go back and rerun any race which would it be i guess it would be the following year
1: marathon project 2020 i feel like i was in shape to run at least 210 that day and i was still scared of the marathon that was only my second one and i i had trained really well and i've i just feel like that was the one where i left the most time out there i ran like 212 or whatever but like i just feel like if I could have taken my current brain and put it in that, that fitness at that time, I still, I would have been, a I would have been on the Tokyo team, I think. So that's, that's the biggest bummer.
0: Wow. It's so weird to think about the marath- marathon project and like how that was a whole thing that year.
1: Yeah, it was awesome. I wish that we had more stuff like that. I mean, I don't know where it fits in the, in the atmosphere of the sport, but like those like elite only like looped course marathons could be so cool. Yeah
0: do you have a Roman empire about a race or an athlete that you think about a lot, but don't know why? So there was that thing a couple months ago where it was like, Oh, that men always think about the Roman empire at random times during like the day or throughout the week. I don't think it applies to me, but then that became a phrase. It was like, Oh, my Roman empire is this. You think about this thing all the time. You don't know why it just constantly pops into your head. So is there an athlete or a race that you think about all the time? And you're like, Oh, like for no
1: reason, like more recently, Kenneth Brooks's steeplechase at 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 uh USA's man, dude. That I've never freaked out more watching a race in my life. I was losing my mind. Cause I and, and I it, it blew my mind. I just never thought I'd see someone fall in the steeplechase, get up and then like heroically outkick everybody for the win. It was that that like goosebumps race for sure.
0: That's a good one. That is a really good one. And I, I think a lot of people do think about that one uh from time to time. Um, all right, let's close this off with the best advice any coach has ever given you. Let's leave the people with some some wisdom. Who is it, and what was the advice?
1: Coach Stone has like a lot of like fun cliches, um, and the one that uh, like sticks with I think all of his athletes, and it's like so like consistent competence equals eventual excellence, and he would call it C squared equals E squared. so the the principle is if you just consistently are competent at what you do eventually you'll be excellent at what you do and i think that that's true for my career it's been like now i'm finally starting to see some of the fruits of the labors but i feel like i've been putting in like high level work for a really long time and and been thinking to myself like i'm better than my times or my performances indicate and it just hasn't come together yet and i'm sure every distance runner thinks the same thing but uh, eventually it's starting to click and i'm i'm excited about what that can mean
0: no it is exciting and you're at a great point now where you just got to wait a couple more weeks and then you know it's going to be official you'll hopefully be headed to the paris games a lot of that hard work you know has paid off and you've got tons of people rooting for you rory
1: Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I'm excited about it. Should be fun.
0: All right. So, I know you didn't make the lap count this past week, but this was awesome having you on the podcast and maybe Kyle will link to the podcast in the newsletter next week.
1: Okay. Yeah, yeah. That'll that'll be cool. Sweet.
0: Thank you all for listening to this episode. This episode was produced by Jasmine Fair. I love doing this for you guys, so please do me a favor and leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify that helps us grow the show and get even more awesome guests. Let me know what you're enjoying about the show. Make sure you're subscribed or following on your favorite podcast players. Please share this episode with your friends if you think that they'll get any value or inspiration out of it. Let's build this thing together. Visit CitySmag.com for a lot more. We've got a brand-new website with tons more articles, videos, and podcasts. As always, I love track and field. I'm Chris Chavez. See you next time.